European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 40, Issue 26, Focus Issue, Heart Failure, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia, read to you by Morgan Bryan. The Spectrum of Heart Failure, Value of Left Ventricular Ejection Fraction and its Moving Trajectories. Heart failure may occur in patients with different pump functions of the left ventricle. The ESC guidelines have defined three patient groups, i.e. heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, HEF-PEF, those with mid-range ejection fraction, and those with reduced ejection fraction, HEF-REF. Patients with HEF-REF and an ejection fraction below 40% may have persistently reduced pump function during proper treatment or recover whole or in part over time. In their article, Frequency, Predictors and Prognosis of Ejection Fraction Improvements in Heart Failure, an echocardiogram-based registry study, Finley A. McAllister and colleagues from the University of Alberta Hospital in Edmonton, Canada, address this issue in 10,641 patients, of which around a third had HEF-REF and were followed up with two or more echocardiograms during treatment. Mean ejection fraction, or EF, at baseline declined from 30% to 29% on the second echocardiogram in those with persistent HEF-REF, i.e. less than 10% improvement in EF, but improved from 26% to 46% in a third of these patients. On multivariate analysis, female gender, younger age, atrial fibrillation, cancer, hypertension, Lower baseline ejection fraction and hydralazine were associated with EF improvements of greater than or equal to 10%. Those patients also had lower mortality, hospitalization, emergency room visits, LVAD implantations or cardiac transplantations as compared to those with persistent HEFREF. Thus, patients with recovering HEFREF are younger, more likely females or hypertensives, or having atrial fibrillation or cancer, and they do have a better prognosis compared with those with persistent HEFREF. These intriguing results were put into clinical context by an editorial by Sanjay Prasad from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, United Kingdom. In addition to effective heart failure drugs, cardiac resynchronization therapy, CRT, ameliorates symptoms and outcome in selected HEFREF patients with wide QRS complex or those with atrial fibrillation after node ablation. However, the very long-term outcome of such patients surviving the first few years after receiving CRT has not been clarified. In their article, Very Long-Term Survival and Late Sudden Cardiac Death in Cardiac Resynchronization Therapy Patients, Serge Boveda from the Clinique Pasteur in Toulouse, France, investigated 1,775 patients with ischemic and non-ischemic dilated cardiomyopathy who were alive five years after CRT implantation especially with regards to sudden cardiac death. Over a mean follow-up of 30 months beyond the first five years, mortality was 27%. The annual age-standardized mortality rates of CRT-D and CRT-P patients were 40.4 and 97.2 per thousand patient years respectively. 29 patients died of sudden cardiac death, 14 with CRT-P and 15 with CRT-D corresponding to 6.1% of all causes of death in both device groups. Specific annual sudden cardiac death rates were 8.5 and 5.8 per thousand patient years in CRTP and CRTD patients, respectively, with no significant difference between groups. 
Death due to progressive heart failure was the principal cause of death in around half of the patients, whereas approximately one-third of deaths were due to non-cardiovascular death. Thus, progressive heart failure death still represents the most frequent cause of death in patients surviving the first five years after CRT implantation, while sudden cardiac death is quite rare irrespective of the presence of a defibrillator. These intriguing results are further discussed in an informative editorial by John Clayland from the Imperial College London in the United Kingdom. Obesity is a growing problem worldwide and associated with significant morbidity and mortality, among them an increased risk of heart failure, but a reduced risk of stroke and atrial fibrillation. Rouen-Y gastric bypass or gastric sleeves are the only convincingly effective treatment modalities for morbid obesity but their long-term effects are not well described. In their article entitled Surgical Obesity Treatment and the Risk of Heart Failure, Christian Karasson and colleagues from the Salgrenska University Hospital in Gothenburg, Sweden, analyzed data from the Swedish Obese Subject Study to investigate whether bariatric surgery reduced this risk. They identified 4,033 obese individuals with no history of heart failure of whom 2003 underwent bariatric surgery and 2030 received usual care. In the follow-up of 22 years, heart failure occurred in 188 of the participants treated with bariatric surgery and in 266 of those receiving usual care corresponding to a hazard ratio of 0.65. After pooling data from the two study groups, the quartile of subjects with the largest weight loss after one year, i.e. minus 41 kilograms, displayed the greatest risk reduction with a hazard ratio of 0.51. Thus, compared with the usual care, bariatric surgery is associated with reduced risk of heart failure in severely obese. These clinical relevant findings are put into context in an editorial by Nicholas Feiner from UCL London, United Kingdom. Takotsubo syndrome, or TTS, is an acute cardiac syndrome with left ventricular dysfunction due to microvascular constriction and myocardial dysfunction. TTS is also associated with arrhythmias, stroke, and death. In the manuscript, Cardiac Arrest in Takotsubo Syndrome, Results from the Intertac Registry, Christian Templin and colleagues from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland determined the frequency, clinical features and prognostic implications of cardiac arrest in TTS. Of 2,098 patients, 103 patients or 5% with cardiac arrest and known heart rhythm during cardiac arrest were evaluated. Compared to patients without cardiac arrest, those with cardiac arrest were more likely to be younger, of male gender and to have apical type TTS, atrial fibrillation, neurological comorbidities, physical triggers, and longer corrected QT interval and lower left ventricle ejection fraction on admission. Overall, 57% of patients with cardiac arrest at admission had ventricular fibrillation tachycardia, while 74% of cardiac arrests in the acute phase eventually had asystole and pulseless electrical activity. Patients with cardiac arrest showed a much higher 60-day mortality of 40.3%, and a five-year mortality of 68.9% than patients without cardiac arrest, 4% and 16.7% respectively. T-wave inversion and intracranial hemorrhage were independently associated with higher 60-day mortality after cardiac arrest, whereas female gender 
was associated with lower 60-day mortality. Thus, cardiac arrest occurs in 5% of TTS and is associated with higher short and long-term mortality. These novel aspects of TTS are further discussed in an editorial by Elan Shaw Whitstein from the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, USA. Currently, heart failure patients are mainly classified according to their left ventricular ejection fraction. Whether this is an oversimplification is discussed in a clinical review entitled The Continuous Heart Failure Spectrum, Moving Beyond an Ejection Fraction Classification by Gilles de Coilinard et al. from the University of Antwerp in Belgium. Initially, seminal randomized clinical trials used HEFREF patients to select high-risk populations to enhance statistical power. However, this may not be appropriate for such a complex syndrome. Connotations such as HEFREF, HEFPEF, and more recently even heart failure with mid-range ejection fraction, assigned based on arbitrary left ventricular ejection fraction cutoff points, have even arisen as separate disease entities, implying questionable distinct pathophysiologies. Thus, the paradigm of classifying heart failure according to the left ventricular ejection fraction may be misleading. Rather, heart failure is a heterogeneous syndrome in which disease progression is associated with a dynamic evolution of functional and structural changes, leading to unique disease trajectories and creating a spectrum of phenotypes with overlapping as well as distinct characteristics. By recognizing the spectral nature of the disease, a novel stratification will arise from new technologies and scientific insights that will shape the design of future trials based on deeper understanding beyond the left ventricular ejection fraction alone. In cardiogenic shock due to myocardial infarction, acute heart failure, or myocarditis, the immense hemodynamic load induces cardiac remodeling via mechanotransduction pathways, which can further trigger inflammatory responses leading to a vicious cycle and eventual death. In a special article, Mode of Action of the Propeller Concept in Fulminant Myocarditis, Carson Tupé and colleagues from the Charité University of Medicine in Berlin, Germany, hypothesized that particularly in inflammatory disorders such as myocarditis, in addition to adequate circulatory support, a therapeutic strategy should unload the left ventricle, thereby decreasing cardiac wall stress and mitigating inflammatory responses as has been described in TTS. Axial flow pumps like the impeller system comply with such requirements. Chupe et al. proposed the use of prolonged impeller support, propeller concept, in fulminant myocarditis, based on a few intriguing case reports. A different approach has been reported in the older literature, using percutaneous extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, which is obviously more invasive and does not provide comparable left ventricular unloading. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.